Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show with the host that's like the Three Stooges. Yes, that's right, all three of them rolled up into one. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, uh, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. On uh, tonight's show in Pipe Parts, I'm going to answer a question about uh, Dunhill Pipes uh, in a little more in particular what eras of Dunhill Pipes to look at. My guest is uh, pipe maker, tobacconist, tobacco shop owner, and uh, musician Rich Lewis, who's got uh, almost 50 years in the industry. So uh, we finally got the kit, finally got Rich, uh, sat down, and uh, yeah, great time hanging out with him. And you get to hear that. Music, mailbag, and a, uh, a, a salty rant coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to hear this fine show. So if you're not, turn it off. Uh, also, if you could, please give us a rating or review on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or wherever else you can. We greatly appreciate that. And if you're on uh, iTunes, uh, make sure and subscribe and do all the downloads and all that stuff. That that helps us, helps keep the show being found. And uh, while you're doing that, share the Pipes Magazine radio show on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever else you might, uh, whatever other social medias you might be on. We would, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, travel again. So, uh, the next two weeks will be, uh, 100% pre-recorded, uh, and way pre-recorded. And if you want to follow my travels, I will be, uh, experiencing the princess cruise lines medallion class of ships. And they're supposed to have some great Wi-Fi, So I'm hoping to be able to, uh, post some, uh, some live stream video stuff and stuff on Instagram and on Facebook. So make sure you're following me there. And I uh, promise you will get some daily doses of our trips and travels. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, just friend request me on Facebook or Instagram. There you go. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. Hi, Colin from GQ Tobaccos here. We're an old-fashioned tobacconist with one of the largest selections of pipes in the UK. We have everything from the big brand factory names to the one-of-a-kind, handmade artisan masterpieces. On GQTobaccos.com, you'll find pipes from Dunhill, Costello, Salmonelli, and Stanwell, just to name a few of the 60 brands that we carry. We also have pipes from Master Grandfelder, Peter Jefferson, and other artisans. If you'd like to complete your collection with a clay pipe or a meerschaum, we have those too. We are mail order specialists and send pipes all over the world and anything outside of Europe is tax free. Come check us out at gqtobaccos.com. Cheers. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. All right, for pipe parts. So as I've said, if you have any uh, questions or comments or suggestions for pipe parts, email me in. And that's exactly what uh, Bruno did. And uh, here's his question. Uh, He says, I'm not there yet, but how should I choose the best Dunhill pipe? There are a lot of variables such as personal budget, year of production, grades of quality, size of bowl, etc., Far easier to buy a great Costello than a Dunhill. Uh, nice weekend to you, and thank you for your great work, Bruno. Uh, so here's here's my thoughts on Dun on Dunhill pipes. All right, 
there are some distinct eras of Dunhill pipes in my mind. There is uh, the uh, there's the pre World War II Dunhills. Anything up until like 1939, so 19 uh, 1909 to 1939. Those are going to be the highly collectible, highly sought after, and the most expensive of them. So if you're looking for a uh, a classic Dunhill in really good condition and you want one of those older ones, well, you're going to be paying for it. Uh, then the next phase is really post-World War II. So 1947, 48. Uh, if you want to push it, I would say 1952 all the way up until the uh, late 70s. That is a great era of Dunhill pipes. And in that era, you get a lot of that older production style and you get a lot of that older wood uh, and you're not going to be paying nearly as much as if it was a pre-World War II or even going back to, you know, the first pre-World War I. Uh, there's a lot of really good pipes out there. And for a lot of us in, uh, yeah, that were born before like 1977, 1978, there's some great birth, uh, birth year Dunhill pipes in there. And remember, if you want to learn how to date a Dunhill pipe, uh, pipepedia.org or pipefill.eu both have really good sources that'll teach you how to read the dating. Um, now, if you're looking for a Dunhill pipe and you want to buy one in your birth year between like 1978 and really all the way up until um, maybe 2000, 2001 or two, I would suggest that you... Um, Abandon that idea. Uh, I think that that was the low spot in Dunhill's production and quality, especially in the 80s when they started doing some really weird shapes and designs. And uh, if you see a pipe that's got a four or five digit, uh, five digit shape code on there, just avoid that completely. Uh, I just think they, they kind of lost their way. All right. That's that. Uh, by 2002, they'd really come back to where they were and what Dunhill is known for. Now, the current production Dunhills that I've seen are almost as elegant as the uh, as the pre World War II and you know just post World War II. But I think the big difference is is that Dunhill has is building a uh, or making a more um, a, a less elegant but more durable pipe now than what they were 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. So it, it's going to be a little bit thicker stem, a uh, little bit thicker shanks. And, and again, they're doing that for durability. Um, when you're looking at buying a Dunhill pipe, I think Dunhill is the king of the shell briar. Just the absolute king of the shell briar. Their briar is picked specifically for their curing process and for the shell briars. Um, I think some of their smooths are not quite as pretty as some other companies. So if it was me, uh, Bruno, I'd look for a good shell briar or tan shell i would look for something in the 1950s 1960s and of course i would stay with something in the classic shapes um i think dunhill has uh, dunhill wrote the book on the bent billiard and the billiard so a dunhill lb or a dunhill lc um uh, dunhill i've had i've had several really nice looking dunhill uh dublin shaped bowls so look in those. And then, of course, the Bulldog. Yeah, they made they made some great-looking Bulldogs. Uh, I don't think they made my favorite-looking Bulldogs of all the English pipe factories, but they kind of wrote the book on that shape. So just look in those classic English shapes. 
Stay in the group four, group three range if you start getting any bigger than that, group five, six, or into the ODAs or bigger, well, then you're going to start paying a premium price. And where I think Dunhill is really well done is in that group four size, which is going to be an hour smoke out of that bowl and should be good. And, of course, uh, know who you're buying it from. Make sure it's been uh, it's been properly restored and not, re-drilled or over-reamed or any of that stuff all right there you go if you have any comments or questions for uh, bruno or for me just uh email me brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the pipes magazine radio show page and in just a minute rich lewis this is internet radio i'm jeremy reeves head blender of cornell and deal pipe tobacco company since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is, uh, well, uh, Rich, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that uh, not a lot of my listeners are going to know who you are, know you by name, know what you're about, so you're kind of new to a lot of people, but yet you're kind of, um, I don't know, how about if I call you the low-key subdued living legend in the, uh, in the pipe and tobacco world, so... <laughs> Uh, Rich Lewis, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me. I guess uh, if the younger folks are listening, they'd say, uh, okay, Boomer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, all right, you've given away your age because you are a, uh, you're, 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 you ain't no young kid, you're a baby Boomer. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But uh, let's let's go back, so... Where did where did you grow up, and uh, did music or pipe smoking come into your life first? Um, well, I grew up in Minneapolis, and more specifically on the north side of Minneapolis, which um, uh, the the uh, the single block that we grew up was was rather unique um, in the sense that uh, my father built the houses on that block, and. Um, so what was different about that particular block was there were no mix of young and old people. It was all uh, guys coming back from World War II, starting families. And uh, I think I counted years ago on uh, tr kind of roughly the number of kids just on my single block, and it was almost 70 kids. So even though, even though there were a lot of kids growing up in that era, uh, in the 60s. I was born 52, so being 10, 12 years old was in the 60s, and uh, I never really played with a lot of other kids around because there was always so many kids, and that neighborhood and that group of people are, are still very close. Um, I still play softball, actually. We just celebrated our 40th year with the same team, and the team was uh, kids that grew up on my uh, block and uh, we're still close friends and, and get together and play. So, wow. we were playing in the regular city league against the twenty-year-olds. So, <laughs> that's almost that, that's almost like a cult-like island in the in in the Midwest. Yeah, it, it is, and and Minneapolis, um, interesting place. And growing up there, I mean, it was really really nice uh, growing up in that neighborhood where. Um, all the dads and everybody looked out for each other. I'm sure it's still that way in a lot of them, but seems to have lost some of it over the years, you know, with neighbors being further apart and 
But so, that's sort of the roots of it, a uh, kind of working class north side uh, neighborhood. And I, I guess I started, I mean, music was a, always a big part of my life. Um, I just really enjoyed it. My mom would sing around the house. My dad, I mean, what they were, there weren't musicians at all, but I, I know some of the stuff that he used to listen to. Um, I came across after he had passed away. I came across some Fats Waller records and things like that. So he he had a little a little bit hipper uh, musical taste than than. Uh, he also had to sing along with Mitch records that we played on our high high. But um, there was a little bit more going on there too. But uh, yeah, going to to I think the first. <laughs> first music show I ever saw was at um, uh, the Dayton's department store they had on the eighth floor. Um, they had the Yardbirds playing, and wow. at that time, I think it was uh, Jeff Beck was the guitar player, unbeknownst to me, of course, and then the bass player was Jimmy Page. So um, <laughs> I saw these guys, and Jimmy Page came on this silver kind of jumpsuit thing, and I was like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hooked, and then I think the next show that I saw, I, I went to see Herman's Hermits, and uh, they had this opening band that I had never heard of, uh, some band called The Who, and their first <laughs> record had come out, and at the end of the their little set, they were the opening act, you know, they destroyed all their equipment, and I was, <laughs> I think that was... That was the final thing for me. I said, oh, i got to do some of this. <laughs> and it was great. Um, I, was a, I was a fan of those guys for, up until about the Tommy record. I listened to that, and that was kind of the last one. And then after that, they got really popular. But I, I don't know why, but I tend to shy away from some of that stuff once it gets really popular. I'm kind of a musical snob, I guess, in some degree. But... <laughs> So did you? Well, my father, my father had bought this our our store in 1969, and um, he passed away in late '71, and I was 20 years old at the time. And uh, you know, I had still had uh, smaller brothers at home. There were six of us kids, and um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I was suddenly in the tobacco business, and. Uh, have been doing it really ever since then. Uh, my other, uh, had a couple brothers that were there, working there for a while, but they kind of went their own way and started their own musical careers and and uh, other um, companies that they started. And I don't know if it was my father uh, having his own business, but no, my, one, my older brother John has his own electric company. He's had that for a number of years. And my brother Tom is one of the top-rated bass players in Minneapolis, too. So we've always, music and business has always kind of been associated. I just, yeah, music is a wonderful thing. I, I enjoy playing it and listening to it, for sure. You know, it's kind of a rare mixture to find a, a musician that can also, you know, like run a business and show up on time for stuff and do paperwork. Yeah, it, my mother eventually, you know, she didn't come down right away after my father died. I mean, she was, you know, a stay-at-home mom that raised six kids, and all of a sudden here she was coming downtown, which, you know, was a big deal to do, and she thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I've mentioned to people before, um, I think she got younger as she started working there. Um meeting people every day and talking to people every day where you're at home, you know, and with some little kids, you know, it's, it's quite a change. And my, and my youngest brother was 11 at the time. So he wasn't like in diapers or anything like that. So it was, uh, she wasn't leaving somebody at home uh, with a babysitter. So yeah, she, she worked there for at least, 30, 35 years before she she's passed away now, too, of course. When you took over, or when you started working in the shop, was it primarily pipes and tobaccos? Uh, it was. There were some magazines, and then there were also, um, like, a pop machine and some candy and gum and stuff like that. But uh, fairly soon after... Um, I started working there. We decided to get rid of the magazine stuff and 
um, you know, back then I was looking at, I came across some old price lists. I think now in our store, because we have 95% tobacco tax in Minnesota, um, now an ounce of tobacco is $7.50. We were selling a pound, 16 ounces, for $3.99 back then. Wow. So it obviously changed a lot. And if you raise the price by a nickel, people complained, you know, (laughs) (laughs) by a nickel an ounce. So it's quite different now than it was back then. But we made all our own tobaccos. There were old recipes that had come with the store. We can date the store back to at least 1949. And oddly enough, um, at one point, it looks like it could have been a music and tobacco store. (laughs) Um, which is kind of ironic, but the, uh, I think it could go back a little bit further than that, but, uh, um, that's what I've seen on the city records anyway. What were some of the more popular blends? What, what type of tobaccos were they? They were mostly, um, Virginia's and Burley's. Uh, we would, we used deer tongue, uh, in a couple of blends that were pretty popular eventually having to um, get rid of that. It had been listed as a carcinogen uh, at some point, and um, so we quit, quit putting that in the plans. We, you know, but I think it's just a natural herb that grows. It's, it's been used in a lot of uh, Native American ceremonies and things like that. Um, and we used to buy a lot of our tobacco from... Uh, the Green River Tobacco Company, uh, I think it was in Owensboro, Kentucky. And there were, I've, I've got catalogs, still have them, of flavoring companies that we buy tobacco flavorings from. Um, we had a retired chemist that worked for us, and he was able to get us uh, liquid menthol. we spray our own menthol pipe tobaccos and stuff like this. And, um but eventually, well, I think what really changed a lot of that blending was when Lane introduced um, the BCA, Black Cavendish uh, Aromatic, and um, that opened up a whole other uh, group of tobaccos that were, in my opinion, were better than what we were making. Um, and uh, nowadays, we probably only make one or two blends. And on special order, I will make stuff for people that still want some of the old blends that we made, but not very often anymore. They've, we, all, after all this time, so most of these people have passed away uh, just because of the, how long it's been. So. Wow. So you were, I mean, you guys were running almost a full-fledged pipe tobacco production facility inside of a, uh, inside of a retail store. Yeah, although we weren't making pipes then. My father, before he had passed away, had bought some repair equipment from J.H. Uh, Lowe Company. Um, yeah. I think his name was Howard Lowenstein, and, um, you know, Tim uh, West, of course, now has that, bought that company name and stuff. Um, but we would... So he had a neighbor doing that, and so when he had passed away, I went and got that equipment from the neighbor and just started. He showed me a little bit about some of it, but, you know, there are tenon cutters, and then you had uh, blanks and stuff that you would you could fit uh, stems on. I'm sure the work wasn't very good when I started, of course, and um, pretty much self-taught doing that stuff. Um, and that... Uh, you know, I, I stumbled my way through that for a few years and was always interested in making pipes. And I had a um, a customer, um, Cliff Johnson, who was um, one of the principal bass players in the Minnesota Orchestra. And he, Cliff was one of these guys that I would call a cool cat. You know, he, <laughs> um, he, very knowledgeable, uh, obviously, on um, music and, and things like that. But he also knew a lot about pipes, and he, he made pipes for fun at his house. 
and and he also repaired bows and even made some bows for uh, the bass players. But when traveling musicians would come through town to the Minnesota Orchestra, he would uh, sometimes make a pipe and, and give the give it to them. And he offered one day to have me come over to his house and he'd show me how to drill out bowls and things like that. And so I did that, and and that really got me started to start making pipes. Uh, I was probably in. I want to say 74, 75, something like that, yeah. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Rich about pipes. We'll get into music, and then uh, uh, we'll try to stay away from the uh, from the political nature of uh, Minnesota's tobacco laws, but more in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We're back with Rich Lewis, musician, pipe maker, tobacconist, um, accountant, bookkeeper, and, and everything else that goes along with running a small business. Uh, so so ni- the, the early 1970s is when you start making your own pipes? Yeah, it was. Um, the, uh, oddly enough, the very first pipe that I made uh, got stolen from the store. it was that good (laughs) i hope the kid that took it uh (laughs) enjoys it (laughs) um yeah but yeah i started making that and i what i would do is um i started to number them and i started numbering them at 100 um and i think because i had made some and sold them and I thought well if they come back in I'll start numbering them backwards from 100 so because uh, I knew the very first one wasn't going to be around or even the first 10 um, so um, they all had numbers on them and then I would just sketch you know with pencil the shape of the pipe and put the number and then I put the date on it that I made it and I've kept records of that stuff uh, still to this day so it's um you can trace a lot of that back. If you give me the number of the pipe, I can tell you pretty close, um, even sometimes to the exact day that it was made. Wow. Did you work with anybody else, or did you just kind of you know, self-taught after, uh, after uh, Cliff got you started? Um, I, I, no, there really wasn't anybody else in town. There used to be a local pipe maker called Wally Larson, and he made a pipe called the Senlar pipe. And that pipe had had an interesting finish on it. It looked like tree bark, on the way he had etched this outside of the pipe. Um, it was more than just a, like a wire wheel straight lines, like uh, you know some of the old GBDs. It was much deeper and, and definitely had that look of almost like tree bark. And it was that color brown, too. So... Initially, when I would do stuff like that, I'd make smooth ones, and I would try to copy stuff like that or other finishes that I would see, and uh, just trying to stumble my way through the the shapes of this stuff. Um, I think a real break for me came... The National Trade Show used to always be in New York City, and I could never afford to go and uh, stay in Manhattan and really didn't know a lot of people. But one year, they moved it to Chicago. So um, so I decided I was going to go. And I went with the, my wife and I and another couple. And we were we we're going to have have a nice long weekend in Chicago. And then I would take some time out and walk over to the show and go. It was almost like a, a side thing to do. But I, I did want to go to the show. And when you – I remember walking in there, and back then – 
Um, most of those companies were old companies out of New York City, these distributors, Associated Import and um, uh, Hulk O'Rourke and, uh, uh, you know, James B. Russell and companies like that. Um, you'd see they'd, some, they'd have cigars for sale, but you never saw the cigar manufacturers actually there. You would never see a, a Fuente family or things like that. They just never, they weren't the, the front image of, of those brands. Yeah. The distributor was the guy, and and that's obviously changed completely now. Um, so I was walking around the show, really didn't know anybody, um, saw maybe one or two salesmen that I kind of recognized that would come in the store, but I stopped by this pipe booth, um, and it was just a single booth, and the uh, there was a guy in there um, who had these pipes from Italy and some pipes from England, and it was uh, the company Marble Arch, and uh, <laughs> I first ran into Rob Siegel there, and he, he couldn't have been nicer to me, and I told him what I was doing, and, and um, he... I was interested, but he had a brand new brand that he had just um, started to import called Sir Jacopo. And um, I was kind of interested in that. And back then, which was very common, especially amongst like GBD and Dunhill and Komoi, those are protected brands, even in the, even the same city. Um, in the music, music part of it, you know, Fender and Gibson, you rarely saw those in the same store. You were either a Fender dealer or a Gibson dealer, but you were rarely uh, both back in the 60s and 70s. Um, and that was kind of the way it was with the pipe um, distribution. And so he said, well, you you know, I have these radiches, but you really, I, I can't sell those to you. Um, um, but you can go up. He said, I said, is this all the pipes you have? And he goes, no, and there's a suite up on such and such floor. And I went up there, and here was this giant suite with thousands of handmade pipes up there. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it that all this stuff was there. And and, and Rob's uh, brother Peter was there also, who I think you've had on the podcast actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I ended up buying, you know, dozens or Jacopos or so, and 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 got to know those two brothers and um about a year later they uh were they traveled constantly over to to Europe and they wanted to know if I was interested in in coming along with them and um <laughs> so um uh, my wife and I decided to do that we ended up spending almost a month over in uh, England and and Italy um traveling around and going to uh, these various pipe factories where I was able to do hands-on work and, and just just observing all this stuff was huge for me. I, rem I remember before that, you know, I always looked at finishes like Caminetto and Costello and things like that, and I thought, how do they do this rusticated finish? And then one day I was looking through a magazine, and a trade magazine, and there was an ad for... Costello pipes, and in that ad, they had that rusticating tool, and I looked at that, and I go, oh, so that's how they do it. It looked <laughs> looked like a dowel with a handle on with these nails coming out of it, and uh, so I eventually made my own tool like that and started to um, do some kind of rustication also. Wow. But with the with the two Siegel brothers, I, um, the first time I went over there was with, with Peter, and we ended up going to the. I flew into uh, England and then drew, rented a car and drove out to the Upshaw factory where Ken Barnes was there. I know Ken's been on the show a couple times, and yeah. uh, Barry Jones was there, of course, and um, it was just fantastic. I, I I couldn't believe the factory of that uh, that they had there. They had taken a lot of the same uh, equipment from Sheridan, and they had some modern equipment. They they had a shaft running down the middle of the of the of their factory, where their leather belts were running 
some of the equipment, the buffing wheels, and even a lathe and things like that. And um, I, I just had never seen anything like that, and, and uh, it really helped me to observe these guys making these pipes. And one thing I noticed when I was there, um, school got out. It was like three or two in the afternoon. And these school kids, I mean, they were older teenagers, but they came and, and worked at the factory. And here were these kids working at this factory. Most of them were putting mouthpieces on the upshaw pipes. And <laughs> it was, I was just kind of dumbfounded to, to the fact that these, this was just a factory job to these kids. It, they had no passion for it, and why would they? <laughs> I mean, they're teenagers, you know. But they were, this is just something they did. They could have been, you know, uh, working at some foundry. It, would, it was all the kind of the same job. They, this was just something they did to make some money. But here they are working in one of the greatest factories in the world, and it just <laughs> didn't mean anything to them, you know. Yeah, they, they were just, they were doing what their parents told them to help contribute to the family. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, you know. Um, and to them it was, well, how many pieces do I need to put stems on uh, today, you know, before I can go home? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't, I don't want to dwell on, I mean, your, your pipes are about as rare as hen's teeth nowadays. Uh, occasionally I'll see one as an estate piece, but... You you kind of developed the armadillo finish, which I just want you to describe because I don't know how to explain it except that it's carved and cool and sometimes doesn't really... Uh, you do spirals with circles and circles with spirals and all kinds of different things. Well, you know, I I wanted to do something a little different that of the carving than the, what was being done. And it went through, obviously, various different uh, versions of that before I really settled on it. But um, it's, um, so it's layered almost, I guess I could have called it a pine cone, too. But armadillo seemed to fit it a little bit better, even though, obviously, I'm not from Texas. But um, (laughs) (laughs) the... uh, what I do is is draw the lines on the pipe and then sand sand uh, deep grooves into it, following those lines to get it just it roughed out. And then you have to do a lot of um, uh, carving with small um, rusticating tools. Sometimes just even single gouges. Um, to get in the really small places that it needs. And then I'll take a, uh, almost like a dental bit or even a, some type of Dremel bit that I will mount into a, uh, a motor. So that's stationary and spinning. And then I'll just define those grooves in that thing even more. And once you start to do that, it really um, makes it... Uh, sharper the the lines and the uh rustication it, it's it is very time consuming but it's 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 been at least it was unique to myself something that i was made that i made that 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 people would could say that oh yeah it must be something that rich had done um and that was kind of the goal you know to do that um Oddly enough, I I don't know why I was looking online, but Costello seems to have really a similar finish now. Um, I can't remember what that finish is called, but um, it's layered very similar to what I do, and (laughs) I have no idea how they got that, came to doing that. I know years and years ago, um, Marco, who is, uh, owns his family has owned a pipe store in Rome for decades. His yeah. dad's name was Augusto, and he's the distributor of Costello. But on one of my trips over to Europe, I had thought I will ma- I'm going to make a pipe and give it to Augusto, and I made an armadillo and gave it to him. And uh, I don't know, maybe 
still has that pipe. It's <laughs> Marco, his son. Gusto's passed away, of course, but um, maybe they, they, you know, they they just like the finish. I have no idea if it, maybe they've never seen my finish. I, I I don't know, but it's it is kind of stunning how similar they are. <laughs> and now uh, going forward, your son has uh, kind of stepped into your shoes and is making his own pipes too. Yeah, George. George um, has, um, you know, like any any uh, little kid'll do. You know, you he's he's been down at the store since he's he was you know four or five years old, and um, I would put him up on a a, a chair to um, use the drill press and drill things out and just. Um, have them just something fun to do because kids like doing that, you know. And uh, so I've tried to to give him uh, guidance, and and he's he's turned into a really good pipe maker. The um, he doesn't do a lot of repair work. He can do regular stems and things like that, of course. But but doing uh, more sophisticated repairs, um, uh, he hasn't. It's just. For right now, it's just too much to try to take in. Um, the pipe making alone is plenty to, to do. But I'm really proud of what he's he's done. And uh, and what I, the other thing I like about it, I don't want him to be me. I want him to be, uh, you know, himself and doing this. And so I don't want it. I don't want to give too much exacting direction uh, in the yeah. pipes that he makes other than suggestions and things like this. Um, that way, you know, his pipes will have a unique look, too, uh, also. And real quickly, we'll just cover the rest of the store, because it's because uh, you know, the store's got quite a history itself, but you have uh, you had to move last year. You're set up in a new spot, full-service tobacco shop, correct? Pipes, cigars, cigarettes? Yeah, and that's all we carry. We don't carry food or lottery tickets or anything like that. And it's all tobacco related. Um, there's no luggage or things like that. Um, and it's certainly not easy um, in this day and age of heavy taxes. As you mentioned earlier, you know, Minnesota is 95% tobacco tax. Um, uh, on, on tobacco, we, it was that on cigars. We actually got it lowered by some miracle. I, I still am kind of stunned that that got done. Um, but you know, with with uh, I really don't carry much in tins anymore because you know, a small tin <laughs> of Dunhill was twenty five dollars in my store. Well, it's, it's, who's, who's going to pay that? It's cheaper um, in London. <laughs> probably is yeah. <laughs> it probably is so that's what that's what has changed and um you know you can't even though you can recoup recoup those taxes when you ship things out of state you just can't you have to pay that tax in 30 days whether you've sold it or not so trying to inventory a lot of things is just impossible in, in minnesota so can you quickly explain to us why you are allowed to sell menthol cigarettes and and a lot of other places aren't? Because this is one of my favorite things. So, well, the the city, um, in their wisdom, the city council um, passed a ban on menthol uh, cigarettes and then on flavored chewing tobacco. <laughs> so you can only so gas stations, grocery stores, convenience stores. Nobody can sell that stuff in the city limits. Um, uh, liquor stores can, and then if you do ninety percent of your business selling tobacco items, you are allowed to do that. Well, I do qualify for that, and so um, my sales of of that stuff is just you know skyrocketed. So. <laughs> It's enough to keep me busy, uh, uh, you know, and a law that I don't agree with certainly has benefited me. There's no question about it, but uh, um, it's it's a funny world out there, I tell you. I I used to, you know, I consider myself a pretty liberal person, and 
the problems with the liberals in uh, Minneapolis is they're some of the most restrictive people I've ever <laughs> come across. I, I, I just, just, just shake my head, but that's, that's the way it is, you know. Now, you, you know, it, it may be keeping you busy, but you're not making a ton of money on each pack of cigarettes that you sell, so you've got to kind of have them lined up at the register going, uh, you know, a pack of a pack of Salem's, a pack of whatever's, you know, just to keep you just to keep the doors open. Yeah, it, it you're you're making less than 10% on cigarettes. Um you know, if somebody buys a lighter, I probably made more of a big lighter. I probably made as much money on that as I have on the cigarettes. But but it does add up, and it definitely helps. And, and business has been good, the chewing tobacco and all that stuff. I used to only carry a general snooze. Uh, I never carried Kodiak or um, Grizzly or any of that stuff. But now I sell a lot of all of that stuff, and it it's it's kind of it's it's kind of nice to have you know a steady stream of customers coming in of course but it also um if i'm there by myself takes me away from doing uh, repair work and, and and making pipes of course rich we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions no right answer no wrong answer just whatever comes to your mind are you ready sure what is your favorite pipe I would have to say just a straight billiard is it. I think the beauty in that shape is uh, says everything. I think so many pipes are made off of that shape. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely the, the shape. What is your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco was always the 2015 by uh, McClellan. And... Uh, Obviously, it's not around anymore. Somebody actually gave me some, a um, uh, little jar of it, which I am eternally thankful for. You know, three nuns, Virginia's and Perique, you know, the Acadian Perique by uh, McBaron's is good. Uh, I like Navy Flakes and things like that, some of the Gawith stuff, Best Brown, uh, still could be Navy Flake, all that stuff is, yeah, Virginia's and Perique, um, that's, that's all good in my opinion. What is your favorite drink? Um, I would. I'm happy with a Grain Belt Premium, made right here in uh, Minnesota. Well, I guess it's now it's made in Wisconsin, but that's the factory. You know, that company started here, and yeah, uh, that's that's something I'm happy with. I mean, I like Scotch and things like that, but if I'm just gonna have a beer. Yeah, give me a Grain Belt Premium. And when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, probably music, I guess I would say. that That's um, something I uh, obviously enjoy. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, listening to good music or going and seeing good music, for sure. And finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Oh, let's see. Um, uh, you've only got like fifty years in this. So. Well, I can. I'll take it. I'll take this way back. So, the guy that my father bought this store from was a friend of his, um, and in Minneapolis at that time, the nearer to downtown North Minneapolis was a big uh, local Jewish community. And then, but things were changing and it was starting to mix black and Jewish. Now you have to remember, so my father bought that store in 69, but the guy we bought it from was a guy named Maury Levy. And my dad had known Maury uh, for a number of years before we bought the store from him. But I remember one day, um, Maury telling my dad, so you have to remember, this is probably 64, 65, he said, you know, John, my daughter's dating a black guy. Now, this is the guess who's coming to dinner era, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe people don't realize how, you know, awkward that was back then, but, uh, um, and my dad goes, what? He says, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, she's dating this black guy, and 
it doesn't seem right, uh, but I kind of like this guy. Now, <laughs> probably that alone was uh, a big breakthrough for, <laughs> for Maury, but my dad is really confused. He says, who, who is this guy? And he says, um, he plays baseball, Carew. <laughs> my dad goes, Rod Carew? <laughs> he says, yeah, 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 that's the guy's name. <laughs> uh, my my father was stunned. He didn't know. He said Maury had no idea who Rod Crew was. Apparently, <laughs> but you know him and uh, Marilyn and Maury's daughter got married, and <laughs> and that's we. So we bought the store. And one day, uh, Rod Crew uh, came. I mean, he would come in occasionally, and he'd buy chewing tobacco. And the last time he was in, this is probably at least ten years ago. Um, I told him this story, and and he was. Uh, he was rather confused by the whole thing. I'm sure he hadn't heard Maury's name for many, many years. <laughs> that, that, that's where we bought the store. That, that and, and uh, one of my uh, favorite things was um, Steve Winwood came in the store one day mm. and was looking for Ashton Pipe Tobacco. And I, I was sure it was him, and I was not going to say anything to him and I, so we talked for a good 20 minutes just about you know i knew a little bit about um you know i knew bill taylor of course and um talked to him about those tobaccos and ashton pipes and he was he was enjoying just talking about some of this and a customer eventually came in a, a customer who was a uh, on on air radio guy and uh, he knew right away who it was and he was very nice and because he he understood but he uh asked if he could take a, a photo with uh him and so george and i and winwood and this customer of mine took a, a little selfie it was it was very nice i mean he's just one of those iconic musicians you know um the career <laughs> he's had is pretty unbelievable so well, now yeah, I can yeah. now I can add him to the list of uh, pipe smoking musicians. Yeah. Oh, and he did tell me um, that he uh, can't smoke in his own house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the website, if you want to find where Lewis Pipe and Tobacco is and see pictures of uh, Rich's pipes and George's pipes, it's Lewis L E W I S pipe.com um and uh, many of you will remember the uh, me me finding uh, two tins of my uh, holy grail uh mcconnell's red virginia made in england well that was rich that had them for sale at chicago a couple of years ago so yeah. rich if you find any more don't put them out for sale i'll take them <laughs> But uh, thanks for coming on, and thanks for uh, it, it's. I mean, what a what a great history. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me. Uh, thanks for uh, uh, giving me a call. And we'll be back in just a minute. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345 and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, and don't forget, Rich can do uh, pipe repairs for you. So uh, lewispipe.com or if you're in the Minneapolis area, look them up. All right, for music, well, guess what? <laughs> now that I found out that uh, Steve Winwood smokes a pipe, well, we've got a new pipe-smoking musician. So we went all the way back to 1968 to the days with the band Traffic, and this is uh, Steve Winwood playing keyboard, and uh, this one's called Feeling All Right. Mm -hmm. 
the change of scene Cause every night I have the strangest dream Prison by the way it could be Left here on my own or so it seems I've got to leave before I start to scream Someone's locked the door and took the key Well, boy, you sure took me for one big ride And even now I sit and wonder why But when I think of you I start to cry Just can't waste my time, I must keep dry Gotta stop believing in all your life There's too much to do before I die You're feeling alright I'm not feeling too good myself I've already started uh, reaching out to see if we can get uh, Steve to come on the show. Yes! You have new mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can go to the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Pipes Magazine and post it there. Or you can email directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, Renfield posted, uh, going back to last week, with uh, Ted Swearingen. Great interview with a very relaxed tone. Good stuff. IPSD was observed in an appropriately public fashion with some fine McClellan's Virginia leaf. I got only one comment that my pipe didn't smell bad like cigarettes. I'll score that as a win. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing when those anti-smokers realize that there's good tobacco out there. 
Uh, and then uh, also uh, Casey Ghost wrote a pretty good show with the reticent Ted Swearingen. He can be a little difficult to get to open up, but you did a nice job. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, uh, I saw a lot of stuff in uh, you know, a lot of stuff posted on uh, on the uh, Instagrams and the uh, Facebooks and stuff on uh, IPSD, including the uh, fundraiser for Rob E, which uh, and the raffle and the uh, poker tournament, which looks like they raised a little bit over thirty three hundred dollars. So thank you to all that were uh, involved in that and thank you to all that uh, contributed to that. Um, <clears throat> I am also waiting to hear news from the Chicago Pipe Show as far as the new venue. They uh, remember the Chicago Pipe Show is uh, that group is uh, determined to hold the show on the same weekend. And uh, yeah, it looks like the Pheasant Run Resort's not coming out of it. So as soon as I get the news for you, I will uh, get it out there and start uh, spreading the word. So. Keep a listen here. Keep an eye on uh, PipesMagazine.com and all those proper places. All right. Once again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Travel-related stuff, Brian.Levine at MEI-Travel.com. And uh, if you're uh, sensitive or delicate, well, don't listen to this week's rant because that's coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. I've said if you smoke a pipe you're a friend of mine I don't care what kind of pipe what kind of tobacco you're a friend of mine well also in the past I've said I can name on my uh, I can count on my hand the people that I know in the pipe and tobacco hobby and industry I had less than five people that I don't want to sit at a table and have dinner with well we found somebody who broke that rule yeah so we got a review on iTunes it's a one-star review that says this was a fantastic show by Great Barcia. And here's what he wrote. Came here for the pipe talk and tobacco reviews. In the end, I got a bunch of political opinions from a guy who constantly makes jokes that aren't funny. The only good part is the five questions to end the interviews. Thought the pipe podcast would be one to avoid political opinion, but alas, and note the spelling, Brianna Levine whines like a little child through his rants. Oh, no, I can't smoke at Disneyland. Boo-hoo. It's an amusement park for kids. Well, that's what he put down. It was a fantastic show, and he gave it one star. I don't mind the one-star review. I don't mind any personal opinions about my jokes or about my rants. What I do mind is when you're an inaccurate idiot, and here's why he's an inaccurate idiot. I have done three rants that have been politically in nature. Uh, one was about the current state of healthcare. The other one was about Cuba, and then, uh, well, and then I've targeted the FDA. That's it. That's it. But apparently, that one particular rant against Cuba really upset some delicate flowers like the great Barcia. So he decided that just because of that and because the only part he liked of the entire show is the Fast Five final questions that he's just going to give a one-star review. And I hope he's not listening anymore. And I really don't want to see him and sit and have dinner with him or even know who he is. So there you go. Bye-bye to you. And by the way, since you're an uneducated person, if anybody knows him, please let me edu please educate him that uh, Walt Disney built Disneyland because he, he wanted a place where parents and kids and the entire family could go. It wasn't built just for kids. There you go. 
end of that rant, end of uh, the great Barcia, and uh, now I guess I have to use two hands uh, for the people that I don't want to sit and have lunch with. The rest of you, I all love you very much. Thank you for letting me get that off my uh, chest there. I didn't want to do that last week with International Pipe Smoking Day because that's a fun day to celebrate pipe smokers, except for one. All right, there you go. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> if you have any comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. And uh, since we've got our most recent review as a one star, really would appreciate those uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes now. So that would be great. Uh, thank you to uh, Rich Lewis for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather Thing staring right at me. It was horrible. What do you know? It was you. <laughs> <laughs> you imbecile, we're getting no place fast. Oh.